Hello and welcome to Where Eagles Dare, a podcast covering the 1980s and 1990s run of the New Eagle comic. My name is Peter, and this is the first instalment of the Eagle Data Files, where my co-host David and I revisit some of the stories of earlier issues. In this episode, we present Dan Dare, Space Cadet, a 10-issue flashback to the training days of Captain Dan Dare, great-great-grandson of the original Eagle hero. Dan Dare Space Cadet, the story itself has no name, was written by the great Pat Mills, with painted artwork by comics legend Ian Kennedy during the final issues of the New Eagle's original offset print run, a medium that really shows off the colour in black and white painted strips and photo stories of the comic. The story unfolds partway through the return of the Mekon, which launched the New Eagle, and was co-authored by Mills and John Wagner, with art duties by Kennedy, Jerry Embleton and Oliver Frey. As well as breaking up the epic Mekon storyline, this miniseries presents something of a change of pace for the Dare Strip, incorporating near-future technologies and elements of theoretical astronomy from the 80s into its story. Interspersed with Kennedy's impressive and imaginative space hardware are specially staged scenes by modeler and photographer Julian Baum. The whole thing is a vivid and gorgeously realised vision of our future and Dan's past all the more bittersweet in the looming fate of Eagle's feature strip as the comic soon relaunches in the standard and cheaper letterpress format. Soon afterwards, Pat Mills would leave the comic, and Dare's scripting would fall to other writers, including Tom Tully and Barry Tomlinson. This is luxury Dare, and the end of an era for the new Eagle. So, strap in, start the countdown, and join us as we return to Dan Dare's cadet days. The story so far. Branded a traitor to his world on the eve of invasion by the ruthless Mekon, Dan collapses after the mental strain of piloting the experimental train ship Firefly. As he undergoes a slow recovery, Earth Command launched their own inquiry to consider our hero's future. But in order to do that, they'll need to look into his past. Part 1. Episode 15. Issues 55-56. to Mm-hmm. Dan Deer, Space Cadet. Not the official mm. title, but, you know. Yeah. Just saying. Soft reboot. In order to decide if Dan is a traitor or not, we are treated to a judicial review of the new Dan Deer's career to date. Don't get me wrong, this is a mm. good story. It's actually interesting, and in some ways it's more fun than the Mekon adventure, and we get some really nice characterization of the young Dan and some of his early friends and... As they learn their trade and Dan finds how to make his own way despite his famous name. He's not a natural. No, but not much of note happens, especially in the next few issues. Though Mm. Kennedy just loves, and I mean obviously loves, drawing spaceships and tech in a more realistic space fleet than the original Dan Dare ever had. It's asteroid mining. There's a really memorable bit which I can remember as a kid when Dan starts hallucinating himself floating outside the ship he's piloting. Mm-hmm. And you know, after a few weeks, we get to the end of the month with a cliffhanger being a mishap with thrusters on his training flight. And next time, flight or fail. But it just goes on for 19 weeks. Spoilers. It's Dan Deere, the right stuff. It is. And it's nearly twice as long as the rest of the Mekon story has after it ends. With the luxury of a front cover third page. 
it's a great little run of little proper space adventures, like like mm-hmm. the right stuff you say, but it stops the rest of the plot dead in the water, just as it seems to be building up towards a climax. And I wonder if Pat Mills was just really, really busy, you know, mm-hmm. Slane's firing up in 2000 AD. It's got Nemesis, probably. Yeah, I wonder if this is just part of the dandy TV treatment he did with John Wagner, repurposed a bit. And I don't blame oh, okay. him, it's still really good stuff, but... Mm. It, it just feels like this other story has been picked up and wholesale poof, dropped into the plot. Look, visually, there's, there's quite a lot to like. I mentioned the asteroid mining because I'm wondering mm. whether this is the first place I ever saw or heard of mining asteroids. Possibly. And in just one panel of that, we see the first instance of a photo model shot being yeah. used in the strip. But probably more on that next time. Mm, yeah, there's a bit more to come, but it, it, it does explain why there's so many space shuttles there because it's a space shuttle model. Mm. I mean, space shuttles now are future retro, <laughs> and nothing compared to say that the space tugs that Ian Kennedy does. They're really cool. They look like yes. sort of big flat nose trucks with yep. boosters. But yeah, the space shuttles obviously Kennedy's drawing to a to an established brief. Uh, and, and I don't know how much of the art and how much of the photos Kennedy was involved in and how that developed. But there's a yeah, there's going to be a point. Not too far away where that becomes more of a feature. It's peculiar, but, you know, it's fo- it's colour photos, so mm. I'm not complaining. Speaking of tantalising models. <laughs> Part 2. Episode 17. Issues 57 to 60. Dandier Space Cadet by Pat yeah. Mills. Art by Ian Kennedy. Previously on Dandier. We've started a great flashback diversion exploring Dan's time as a cadet, and last time we left him in his training shuttle, spiralling out of control. Until it's not. (laughs) Avoiding a rookie mistake, Dan gets the ship under control and docks successfully. (laughs) Later at at an impromptu visit by Commander Sir John Ramsey, the Space Fox. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Uh, Dan shoots his mouth off about the lack of solar sailing opportunities, like in the brochures for army training, irking the commander and annoying his fellow trainees, particularly Jeff, the self-made top of the class. Mm. Maybe the comparison with Tim Talbot isn't too far off, no. to be honest. We're about to have another Tim Talbot link, aren't we? We are, because that night the military police raid the trainee bunk room. It's another snatch raid! <laughs> Something in the water in April 1983 at the Eagle offices. <laughs> a team of five recruits, including Dan, are bundled into a transporter and shipped out to a derelict sun schooner, the SS Andromeda, where they will be marooned as a training exercise. Apparently Dan gave the commander the idea. Mm. Now, quick aside, this is the story where we begin to see the start of regularly using space models in the strip. Mm. And I remember thinking it was really nifty at the time, and maybe it was to save Ian Kennedy some efforts. I don't know what was driving it, but I, I'm, I'm missing Kennedy's art, because it was glorious. It is glorious. Um, there's no question that Ian Kennedy's work is absolutely elevating the front page. Mm. I do not miss the photo uh, front pages, even though we've had some fun ones. Yeah. Actually, the Invisible Boy ones have been some of the best, but... There's just something epic and sweeping about Kennedy's spaceships and spacescapes that we're not quite getting. But to give them as due, the modeler and photographer Julian Baum, or Baum, who actually provided the model for Doomlord ship back in the, uh, oh, the Doomlord okay. episodes, yeah, 
it's some nice work and he gets a credit in the strips of course and uh, there will actually be a feature on him in the 85 annual so the end of ah, 1984 right I had forgotten about that but, yeah hmm. so I I, um, I a bit of a soft spot for, for this stuff now plus um, some of the astronaut figures uh, as we'll see later on I'm pretty sure I've got some of them from an airfix Apollo 11 <laughs> model I've got it's very, I'm sure a lot of kit bashing went on a lot yeah yeah so it's cool but yeah speaking of trying to salvage things into a better shape the new (laughs) crew explore the empty ship and egoist jeff takes command unchallenged and motivates the others dan dimitri gene and scoby scoby (laughs) scoby being the new digby for anyone who's aware of the original dan Mm -hmm. things but he's a larger than life boulders brass type character Suddenly, all the larks stop as the crew realise the ship is leaking air. The gang mobilise and start an EVA mission to patch up the leaks and fix the Andromeda's sails. And this is where we get those lovely little uh, spaceman models you were talking about, Peter. Yeah. And we almost have a cliffhanger as Scooby tumbles off into space but is saved by Dan in a piece of phototastic cut and pasting. <laughs> Space-living hijinks follow as the crew socialise around the food machine, which Scoby proceeds to beat up due to its lack of dispensing. But that night, Dimitri wakes Dan. Houston, they've got a problem. Which I missed. Dan, we've got a problem. I missed that reference when I was a kid. Uh, The food machine has sprung a leak from Scoby's abuse, and their water tanks are nearly empty. All their food is dehydrated, so they need to make their rendezvous fast. By day 16, arguments break out as rats raid the last of their stores. Jeff finds an unmonitored room and gives everyone a bollocking. By day 30, they're running like a well-oiled but water-rationed machine as they make the rendezvous asteroid. But there's no one there. And they're out of water. This is no longer a survival exercise. They're marooned. For For reals. Next time, the Crater of Mystery. Hmm. It's fun. It's it's sort of quite neat. As everything else is ramping up the stakes, Dandy's become a bit more right stuff and pedestrian, which is mm-hmm. all right. But I'm sitting here 40 years on going, yeah, but where's, where's the end of the Mekon story? It's just, talk about a big right turn. Yeah, and, and you've got to say, you mean, the fate of the Earth versus, you know, we've run out of dehydrated food, uh, that sort of thing is, uh, it's a bit of a step down. It is. I mean, but it works. It's, it's yeah. definitely... I don't think I've, I've seen Pat Mills do a such a small-scale story before. He's usually mm. big conspiracies, big histories, big this, that, and the other. And it, again, he's probably going back to his roots. You know, it's just the close kind fights of the ship and how the crew interact with each other. Yeah. It's a nice gear change. Hmm. It's not unwelcome. Uh, did you spot the musical reference for Chariots of Fire? I did. I did. <laughs> Very contemporary. So they're looking for some music to play while they're doing the docking or, or some sort of space mm. maneuver a la 2001. But of course, this is 1983, so you can't be doing Strauss anymore. It's uh, got to be Vangelis because that's your classical music of the early 80s. Uh, the, look, my other note about Dear is uh, in issue 57, nice to see a Sikh turban on a space station. Yes. Yes. Now, so, there, there's definitely a, a, an element of multiculturalism. Mm. With the crew, Dimitri, of course, being Russian, um, and of course, there being a large Sikh community in the UK. Mm. Yes, but yes, there's definitely an international yeah. feel to space, which is, which yeah. is nice to see. Speaking of the UK as it is today, oh, well done. Yes, or, or as it was in '83. Yes, <laughs> yes. Part three, episode eighteen, issues sixty-one to sixty-four. Previously on Dan Dare, in reviewing Dan Dare's past as a space cadet. 
no pun intended, a jury of policy wonks are retelling the story of Dan's early mission in a sun schooner, which is marooned in space, orbiting an asteroid. Uh, their rendezvous apparently missed. Scobie tries to hit the mission abort button, but Dan has a tussle with him, and he and Scott, Scott, mm, mm. try and convince Scobie that their efforts are worth more than throwing the towel in this early. Just as Dimitri comes up with the crackpot scheme to start eating the rats vampire style <laughs> to conserve water, Dan realises the asteroid they're circling might actually contain water if it's carboniferous. Carboniferous? Mm-hmm. I'm 40 now, I can't read it any better than when I did when I was 8. Carbon beer. And the three astronauts, Soby, Scott and Dare, fly down to the planet and yahoo, they've found water! But just as they're about to start extracting it, one of the craters opens up. It's lovely. It's a photo shot and it's a good week for Airfix astronaut models. Probably one of my favourite pictures of the month. Mm. The opening asteroid in this amber light spilling out. Really nicely done. Photos on the Facebook page. And it gets even better with what is perhaps the best cover of this month. Out of the glowing hole in the asteroid, a space transporter flies out. Dare and co. realise the asteroid is a secret space fleet base. And their mission commander strolls out to meet them, calling them astronauts. (laughs) I bet there's a lot of red faces inside those helmets. The astronauts panel. Bit of a shout out to a friend of the pod, Morg who um, pasted that up on Twitter some time ago. He must have found the issue. Just about fell out of my seat when I saw that. (laughs) Edgy. (laughs) The crew are rescued from the solar schooner and are debriefed, but not in a manics kind of way, (laughs) about how the mission went. Amongst the commiserations and brickbats, there are some compliments paid to the members of the crew. But Mm. Dan only gets the question, you piloted the ship okay, but why didn't you volunteer to be leader? Dan says he didn't want to be pushy. Mm. And he is told off because this is officer school. We're not training you to be one of the lads. I love how Crawley Lewis is with the CEO. The CEO is sort of saying, uh, we don't want yes men in space fleet. Oh, I agree, <laughs> sir. <laughs> On their way to being uh, given a full set of physical training for several weeks to recondition their bodies after zero G, the cadets encounter the wily space fox who set them up for this mission. And uh, shout out to Facebook friend of the pod, Stephen Reed. The gym instructor has a Hitler moustache. But... <laughs> Good old Pat. But speaking of walking or dying, which was a bit of a segue that didn't work, we jump forward to Dan's mm. next mission. On the moon! Stranded on the moon, trying Part to get four. his injured instructor Episode back. Injured 19. as uncovered with ketchup. This is only a play acting situation. Mm. While a fleet of hunter-killer moonlanders chase them around. They're lunar modules. They are Eagle-class lunar modules from the Apollo mission. And I can supply models if needed. <laughs> they have been done up to look like space invaders, with the vicious slanty eyes, with find and destroy stenciled on the, on the wording outside. It's not much of a makeover, no. I'll say that. You wonder then, would they, were they originally meant to be models? Because I don't think there's much in the way of dandier models from here on in. No, I think this is the classic example of an Airfix model being uh, repurposed. And I know this for a fact because you know, the Airfix Apollo 11 uh, model was easily available on the shops. It had been available since the 60s, but had a bit of a sort of second wave in the early 80s. And this was the time that I had my own. So, um, okay. yeah, easily traceable. Very familiar in these photos. 
Dan and co stride their way across the rugged surface of the moon, carrying their instructor in a makeshift stretcher, hiding from satellites chasing them down, until one day Dan and, and Lewis accidentally find a, a patrol and realizing they can get away with it, steal the moon buggy. Their instructor is not impressed by this. And Dan says, well, you're meant to be unconscious, sir, so please be quiet and don't interfere. <laughs> Which he gets told off for by his teammates, but secretly the instructor is quite impressed by driving their buggy across the moon's surface. When the hunter-killer satellites find them, they just wave and drive by, which I always thought was rather cool. Genius. Yeah. But as the episode ends, basically a moon hot rod starts mm. tailing them. They think they're onto them, and they begin a desperate drive up a lunar canyon. Next time, Death in the Badlands. It's a car chase on the moon. It's a car chase on the moon. And I'll give you the lunar lander, but I don't know where the space hot rod comes from. It looks rather neat. It reminds me of Elvis the car in um, the Judge Dredd stories when he's a moon marshal. Oh, fair enough. It's been a long time since I read them. Yeah, it was very early Dredd. (laughs) Cool. Lovely use of models. And I think, yeah, that is the last use of models in Deer. You're right, though. It's, it's curious that they, they didn't use the Apollo lunar module. Maybe it was just a little bit too obvious. Possibly. But Ian Kennedy is still giving us glorious moonscapes and mm. interesting kit. Definitely. And the story's pumping along. I do like the Court Martial Review allows you to transition from interesting story ends, interesting story starts quite effectively. Yes. Part 4. Episode 19. Issues 65 to 67. Dan Dare, Space Cadet. Story by Pat Mills, art by Ian Kennedy. Previously on Dan Dare, we take an extended cutaway from the ongoing Mectonian adventure to flashback to Dan's time at the Space Fleet Academy. During a training exercise on the moon, Dan... (laughs) With a balloon. um, Dan's team have stolen a lunar rover. Lunar goons. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, but have been pursued by what can only be described as a space hot rod, a Badlands buggy, which chases them up the terraces of the Tycho Crater. But, as this episode starts, oh no, their pursuers have gone too close to the edge, and their souped-up machine tumbles over the ravine-like edge and bursts into flames in what has to be the best cover this month. It's my cover of the month. And Full Marxy and Kennedy. Yeah, every cover this month, of course, is a dandier cover by Ian Kennedy, but this is beautiful, beautiful lush reds. And horrific, but beautiful. Mm. We're then treated to the horrific image of one of the crew's spacesuit seals bursting and his blood boiling and his body blown apart under the sudden exposure to the vacuum. Poor Kawabe. That's more described than actually seen, mercifully. It's not sort of Hammer yes. House of Horror. But but cover. for years, that's that I, I didn't actually realise that that may not be exactly what happens. But no. you know, having seen Mythbusters with a, a deep sea diver's unit suit under positive pressure and then exercising all the air, I could believe it. Dan and co. bury the body and the story jumps forward two months to the crew undergoing combat simulation training at Aquila Base. Dan has distinguished himself as a marksman and his instructors are confident he will get over the accident. Yeah, they're taking it very casually. It does seem to be quite lightly dusted over. Yeah. Again, if you think of things like Starship Troopers or something, a death in the field is a major turning point in the plot. It's also really expensive. <laughs> well, yes. They don't mention it here, but this is what their whole conducted the whole review about, believe mm. it or not. And yeah. they don't even 
don't even touch on it. I don't quite get what they were thinking. I wonder if there was a, a sort of, oh, actually, we have to have a reason for this review. Let's put it in quick. Mm. The story rattles forward, picking up Dan's graduation and assignment to a deep space research command posting, pausing only to note that Jeff Lewis, who we previously called Scott, I don't know why, apologies dear listener, my note writing is awful, won the best all-rounder and their instructor Chuck Boyle is being stood down to earth after his medics noted he had a heart regularity. Take note of this. Hmm. Dan and Jeff are assigned to the Newtonian mood of Triton, a snowball satellite housing Project Zeus, a deep space test mission where Dan befriends Ham 2, the chimpanzee cosmonaut who will be used for the next test flight. And before you can say Pat Mills anti-vivisectionist triad, Dan has voiced his ethical concerns about Ham's treatment and is warned of off causing any trouble by the flight director Bob Tilson, known by the apes as a black suit. Because of the black suit he wears. Hey, I'm interested. I mean, this is before I really got to know Pat Mills's oeuvre. Mm. So as soon as I saw a, a space monkey, so to speak, I would have assumed at the time, oh, God, we're going to go down a cutesy-cutesy line. You know, this is, you know, work with animals and children. Mm. But it's an interesting angle. Not, we're not really dealing with that. No, I mean, and this was a big thing in the 80s. I remember the monkeys actually used sign language to communicate with their instructors. Mm-hmm. And... That was something that was happening at the time. I remember mm. multiple news reports about it. So Ham is actually treated as a functional character rather than a cute space buddy, which I think works well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly a whole lot better than... Was the Eagle Summer special that we read with Conrad? Oh, God. <laughs> space Invaders and the Space Trip. The lonely space pilot with only his monkey as a companion. <laughs> yes. <sighs> Jeff realised that any downfall in Dan's fortunes could be a win for him. But uh uh-oh, Ham has escaped, and Dan leads the rescue party to recover the snowball-hurling chimp, which is an improvement on monkey shit. (laughs) Despite his intelligence, Ham ends up getting trapped in a slush swamp, Sarah Jane style, and only Dan's quick actions save the swiftly sinking simian. Oh dear. I do like the slush sled. Oh yeah, no, if, you, if you're after alliteration, Dave, we can, we can provide it in spades. The super slush said. The super speedy <laughs> slush said. But again, Ian Kennedy earning his paychecks with just mm. awesome space visuals. Already, I don't miss the uh, the model photos, and I did like the model photos. But his mm. um, his future tech is cool. Yeah, it is. It Yes, and model photos are gone now, dear listener. That's, we've, we've seen the back of them. Back at the base, Ham is revealed to be a true rebel, but his spirit seems to be broken after a few days of mm. corrective therapy. However, maybe because of Dan's protests on his behalf, he is still Dan's friend. Next time, Chimp in Space! Space, 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 space. Interesting comparison in um, issue 65, the strip, um, where they're talking about sort of the model exercises they're going on, and they're saying, oh, no, this isn't like computer arcade games. Yeah, yeah. I remember at the time, even, um, I think there may have even been news article article I I remember, around about the time that my brother and I were viciously lobbying our parents to get us a, a home computer, Reagan saying, oh, no, it's great these kids are getting into arcade games and it's good for hand-eye coordination and they could be the space pilots of the future. And I was saying, yeah, 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 definitely. (laughs) And here's a comic strip saying, nope, it's not the same at all. (laughs) But having said that, though, we have had articles in Eagle about mobile tracking systems and mobile missile systems Mm. 
that was sort of coming to the fore in the 80s and would last for quite a while. And, uh, you know, drone bombers and things since yes. then have proved that yeah. maybe they are. Yeah, totally. But, of course, to to an eagle reader at the time, this is referencing their world, mm, uh, much like the first few issues of Eagle and Deer as uh, Sugar references Piccadilly Circus, which I found really, really bizarre. There again, it's, a, it's an English-British readership. Mm. And computer arcade games, totally what's happening with the kids these days. Yes. One thing I remember thinking at the time, and I found myself surprised it wasn't actually there, in this run, is I was sure Jeff was somehow involved in Hammerscaping. I'm glad you mentioned that because th- there's a panel where it is Jeff sort of saying, this could work in my favour. Yeah. But I couldn't work out whether it was Jeff or whether it was their instructor and his hair's growing a bit. It's quite interesting. I noted it previously. For some reason, earlier on, we were calling Jeff Scott because mm. Jeff yeah. being a dark-haired, military-looking type... And there are a lot of them in this. And there are a lot of them, and they sort of become a bit of a blur. And there are whole issues with Jeff's there and Dan's talking to him, but they don't go, hi, Jeff, or don't acknowledge Mm. this is Jeff. Mm. So he's been this consistent character through, whose name we got completely wrong. (laughs) And maybe, you know, cards on the table again. I don't think this is a strength of Ian Kennedy's work, is that his faces can be a little bit similar to one another. No, well, no, you say that, but you've got characters like Scobie and yeah. Ivan, mm. and there are people in there who are distinct as characters. And certainly the Firefly crew was very distinct. You know, you've got mm. Sugar, you've got Valden, you've got well, Zeta or Helen. That's this, that's your Scott. Well, they're all different Dan. colours and one of them's a girl. Yeah. So yes. yeah. maybe that's a bit of a cheat. But then you get to this training stage and the faces begin to be a little bit sort of central casting. Maybe, but maybe he's just got one of those faces. Maybe he has. Maybe that'll work in his favour. Part 5. Episode 20. Issues 68 to 70. Well, speaking of going back to the wild, Dan Dare, The Monkey's Uncle, by Pat hmm. Mills, art by Ian Kennedy. Previously on Dan Dare, the Mekon's invasion of a beleaguered Earth force base is put on hold for a couple of months while Dan's history as a cadet is reviewed. Now Dan has graduated and has been assigned to Project Zeus, a test flight system for sending mankind to the stars. Not like his great-great-granddad did it already in Terra Nova Trilogy, just saying. <laughs> and all this, is, all this is happening while Dan has been looking after test flight chimpanzee and primate rebel Ham 2. I can't get into the title Chimpanauts. Simianauts is better could do better as Dan says it's not like this is the 20th century. Mm. Dan is so outraged by the treatment of Ham 2 he organises a petition amongst the potential human crew that the next project Zeus 8 is the first and last monkey mission. Noble but potentially blowing his chances of being assigned to the prestigious next human mission as gloats Jeff Scott. Ooh Jeff. Jeff. And we are treated to two glorious pages of Ian Kennedy's spaceship art as Ham prepares for his mission, believing his test flight will take him back home to Africa. Oh, poor Ham. It's more effective than the electric shocks or banana pellets he's been given. Mm. Dan's petition is a success, even if it has ruined his career. But, in a twist of fate, it turns out that the only fair way to assign a crew is for the trainees to select amongst themselves, and a mock vote for fun was actually used to select the potential crew members. Who is running this monkey out? <laughs> Ham. 
We have Sun Tzu Chan, Mission Specialist. Yelena Vushlekov, Payload Specialist. Sugar Joe Robinson, Co-Pilot and Engineer. Hey, hey Sugar! Hey, and Dan Deer, Commander and Pilot. In the biggest literal upset since Mayor Dave and the Big Meg. The monkey's uncle got the vote. Mm-hmm. Four months later, Had returns and is unimpressed that he has not been returned to the jungle. He literally goes ape mm. and tears a strip off his commanding officer, ripping the back of the jacket off black suit. All the other chimps think he's awesome. <laughs> After Dan defends his actions, Ham is returned to the compound where he is cheered by the other lab chimps and they let him keep the jacket. It made him very happy. He tore a bit off it every day for a year until there was nothing left. Ham was the first into deep space, but he was proud of a much greater achievement. He made a monkey out of black suit. Dan and the crew prepare to leave while Jeff Lewis... Dick. Jeff Lewis. Yeah, Jeff Lewis. i got to call him Scott again. Damn it, Peter. Here's his grievances about how the post should have been his. Before setting off, Dan says goodbye to Ham, who claims he must be nuts for wanting to leave. We meet the two floating service robots, lifeguards one and two, who Dan nicknames Bill and Ben in a rather anachronistic manner. They seem nice. Men's shaver nice. Well, they're going to provide a closer shave or someone's money back. <laughs> and a ship's computer who looks remarkably like Slave One out of Blake 7. Mm. The ship Intrepid zooms out of the solar system, passing Voyager and probably Elon Musk's Tesla, before the crew have <laughs> one final meal and then go into hibernation for their long voyage into the stars. Do they actually pass Voyager? Is that mentioned in the strip? Yeah, it's, men- it's mentioned in the strip. That's really cool. I mean, I, I don't think I was aware of the concept of gravity slings either in this, which is uh, earlier in the, in the month. I think it's part of Ham's mission, uh, that mm. actually sort of using the various gravitational influences of the planets gets you further. Mm. It's now the basis for our exploring beyond the moon and Mars, is, is that sort of theory. But it was then too, so mm. you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's more educational than predicting. I love it when Pat Mills goes on a research binge. <laughs> well, yes, but it's loads of setup to a backstory we already know the end of. That's fine. The trade-off is you get this lovely artwork, some little human moments, and young Peter gets an education. That's, so. that's true. Get ready for education, because next time, the killer robots. <laughs> yes, indeed. Part 6. Episode 21. Issues 71 to 74. Previously on Dan Dare, we're flashing back to Dan's earlier career as a captain of the Earth's first interstellar explorer mission. And now, as the crew go all sleepy nine-eyes in suspended animation, the two shipboard robot lifeguards, one and two, decide which fleshy human they will kill by lethal injection. Sinister dustbusters. Yeah, you haven't missed an episode, people. It just got really dark really quick. (laughs) As I said before, when I was first reading these, I missed the previous issue. So this just turned up. It was like, whoa. <laughs> As the robots advance on payload specialist Yelena, Dan is woken by a star, the ship's master computer, and he wakes just in time to stop the terrible Technotusum in their tracks. It turns out the ship's recycler was damaged by cosmic particles, and the wretched robots believed reducing the crew numbers was the only way to ensure the mission's success. Dan replots the flight plan, shaving three years off their mission and requiring hibernation on the return trip before heading back to bed, telling the mechanical miscreants to stop playing silly buggers. Three years later, the crew revives, and Yelena thanks the bots for all their care. If only she knew. 
<laughs> we are then treated to a week's worth of amazing visuals, as mentioned before, as Patani and Lavishus with an alien race's first contact with Earth via a souped-up Voyager holographic disc, and how their reply is picked up by Dan's crew, who reluctantly log the information for further investigation on the next mission and set their course for home. Now, this is the planet Guest, so mm. I'm assuming these aliens are the host of the planet Guest, which I think is just a lovely little pun. But also it's a lovely shout-out to the, the supporting cast of the first Dan Guest yes. trip, isn't it? Because the planets yeah. are named after, well, Sir Hubert Guest. Yes. We'll see more sort of callbacks in spirit later on. Because mm. the crew are now aged 34, even if they only look 26. Oh, bastards. Dan's the least hip 34-year-old, 26-year-old. And are awakened from slumber as the ship arrives back in their solar system. They're sporting hipster beards, 34, <laughs> acting like 26. Um, <laughs> but as they trim their hair and beards, Star notes that their radio is being jammed and some rather odd ships are approaching. Mm. With a dramatic inevitability, we relive the start of Dan's current adventure as our heroes are shot out of the skies, leaving Dan and Sugar to escape to Earth. Yelaine is dead this time. Yes, the hearing is over. And I've got a question, Peter. Yeah. How do they know all this? Dan is the sole survivor and all the records went down with the ship. Uh, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe Star's got some sort of real-time relay. But to Earth when it's been taken over by the Mekon. Maybe JJ saw it all happen? Of all the things in these stories, this is the one we can gloss over. Maybe maybe Sugar was conscious enough to, to recall, I don't know. We flash forward to the canonical present day as the Mekon's troops advance on Earth Fort and the Green Menace himself orders his gravity weapons to be brought to bear. Meanwhile, in space, a fleet of Earth's fighter craft led by Dan's old friend Dimitri target the gravity guns just as a recovered Dan and Helen Scott make their way to the inquiry board on the way, meeting a much-aged warrant officer Vickers, Sans Hitler-Tash. Mm. And a much rounder Scobie. Dan spends two hours with the policy wonks before emerging, but what has been decided? Mm. Next time, the Martian Task Force. This concludes Dan Deer, Space Cadet. You've been listening to the Eagle Data File from Where Eagles Dare. If you'd like to follow us or get in touch, you can find Where Eagles Dare on Facebook and at sofageddon.wordpress.com. We're on Twitter at sofageddon, and you can email us at sofageddon at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.